Well, I invite you to turn your copies of God's holy and inspired word back to the, Paul's letter to the Ephesians. We be, uh, take back up the uh, beginning of chapter 4 as we find ourselves in this transition uh, from the first half of the book to the second. Ephesians chapter 4, uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 6. The focus of the sermon, uh, though, is on uh, uh, chapters, uh, verses 3 through 6, but we're going to read all of it. Let's give our reverent attention to God's holy word this morning as he is present in this word and speaks to us through it. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to, uh, to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This is the word of the Lord. Let us go to him and ask for his blessing. Our Heavenly Father, what an amazing privilege to have your word, to have your presence saturating this word, and to have your voice speak to us through this word. We ask that you indeed by your spirit would enlighten our hearts and our minds this morning, that you would recount to us not only the amazing benefits of what you have given us in Christ, but this incomparable calling, this heavenly identity, this heavenly citizenship, and this amazing privilege to share in the ongoing mission of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as we, as the bouquet of Christ, are here to saturate this world with a testimony to your grace and to your love. And so speak to us and renew us and refresh us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved in Christ, you are the renewed image of God. God made us in his image, but in Adam we fell, as I believe you heard about last Sunday. You fell, and the image of God became tarnished. It was not lost, but it became tarnished until Jesus Christ coming in flesh who went to the cross and who rose from the dead, became the first of a renewed humanity. 
And in Christ, what Paul has been arguing in these first three chapters is that in Christ, you now share in that new humanity as you are participants, not only in the death of Christ, but that you are already participants in his resurrection. You are, as he says here, the new man. You are part of this new humanity. In Christ, beloved, you are the renewed image of God in this world. So act like it. That's chapters 4, 5, and 6. Chapters 1, 2, and 3, you are the renewed image of God in Christ. Chapters 4, 5, and 6, so act like it. See, now you know the whole book of Ephesians. Paul calls us to live in a manner worthy of our calling. Take the heavenly identity, the heavenly citizenship, this heavenly calling that has been granted to you in Christ, and now live it out. Become walking, breathing, singing, eating, manifestations of the risen Christ here in this world. Because in Christ you are no longer dead in your sins and, pres- uh, sins and trespasses. Uh, in Christ you are no longer in rebellion against God. In Christ you are no longer a slave to the evil forces of the, of the spiritual realm. In Christ, you are no longer a slave to the passions of your flesh. In Christ, you have been made alive, raised up, and seated with Christ in the heavenly places. And in Christ, you no longer are at enmity. You are no longer in competition with one another. God has made us one in Jesus Christ. And what Paul here, as he begins to unfold these next three chapters of what it looks like to live out who you are counted to be in Jesus Christ, Paul begins with with this, this most central, important, vital way in which we live out this heavenly identity. And that is through the pursuit of unity. Paul here, as he begins to unfold what it looks like to live out the extravagant grace that we have received freely in Christ, begins with attitudes that when they become expressed in living, will reveal the oneness that Christ has won for us through his heavenly mission here on earth. He tells us to live worthy, and to live worthy, he doesn't begin with behaviors, he begins with attitudes. He begins with dispositions 
of the heart. Humility, we said, was this this call to stop parading ourselves in front of one another, to stop using one another for our own benefits and to, for, to accomplish our own personal desires. Humility is considering others more important than yourself. To see that in Christ, the one who gave up glory that he was due, as he gave it up for a time, as he set it aside, he came to earth as a servant and served to the point of death. And the humility that he, that was, that was part of who he was, that was part of his mind, is part of who we are in Christ because we have the mind of Christ. Our humility, that disposition of the heart, is to change from using people for ourselves to using ourselves for the sake of others. We are to be gentle. This doesn't mean manby-pamby Christianity. This doesn't mean effeminate Christianity. It, it doesn't mean being wimpy. It doesn't mean being noodle-armed. Gentleness or meekness, as it was part of Jesus Christ, was not wimpy. It was often expressed in great power and great strength, but it was always in service to his Father, and it was always for the benefit of those whom he served. Whether that strength was, was manifested uh, in, in, in uh, giving of himself uh, so that he was oftentimes just physically wrecked because he kept serving and kept serving, kept serving, or whether it was those times that he had to blast the self-centered, self-serving, self-authoritative uh, religious authorities. In either case, it was for the good of the other person that his strength and his power was being utilized in service to his father and others. It wasn't for himself. Just like a horse has to be broken so that is no longer dangerous to the people around it, but can be utilized in order to, in order to do the work that we, can't, that we can't do on our own. That horse has to be broken. And you and I, in Christ, are being broken. Not so that we are being broken down, but so that we are able to harness the strength and power that we receive in the Spirit as the Spirit has united us to that risen Christ, we use that in service to God and to our neighbor. And he says patience, that we are to cultivate hearts that, that have emotional quietness in the face of unfavorable circumstances, that our hearts are to be temples of the peace that Christ has already achieved for us. Jesus Christ took the wrath of the Father against your sins onto himself so that the Father can bathe you in his love and in his peace. That peace is to be cultivated within our hearts that allows us to be still in the face of circumstances that are different than the heavenly citizenship that you and I enjoy. 
Are you and I raised up and seated with Christ in the heavenlies? Absolutely. Is that your daily experience? Absolutely not. And yet the peace of Christ that is ruling in, the, in that heavenly context is a peace that can be cultivated within your own heart so that you can live out the peace of the heavenly places in the face of the ongoing uh, earthly catastrophes. Is there a greater time in recent days that we can think of where we need this peace of Christ to be ruling our hearts? Our hearts, we are to cultivate constraint, cultivating calm in the face of provocation or misfortune. Long-suffering, not being overbearing but forbearing. And notice he says here, well, how, do, how do we manifest all this? Well, we don't quit on love. We love and we love and we love and we love. Not only when it is returned, not only when it, it is appreciated, but we don't quit on love. And so we are to, to be cultivating these attitudes that um, are part of our union with Jesus Christ. To be united with Christ is not just to receive the spiritual benefits of his work. It's to have the Christ take up residence within us through his spirit where we are being remade into his image. And that image, beloved, is not just his behaviors. It is in the dispositions of his heart towards his father. The dispositions are the heart of Christ towards you, his people. The dispositions of his heart to those who are outside of these walls. Beloved, we are called to, to manifest the dispositions of the heart of Christ to our relationship with the Father, to our relationship with ourselves, to our relationship to those who are on the outside. And notice here, how important is this? He tells us, we are to be eager to do this. Paul here takes up in verse 3 that as we are cultivating these attitudes of, of humility and gentleness and patience, that as we are taking this up, we are to take this up with an eagerness that is an expression of an urgent and hurried desire to do one's best an urgent hurried desire uh, you know not to spare any effort that we are to be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace how vital is this you are to give every ounce of who you are in Jesus Christ to cultivate these things. Which means, beloved, stop making excuses. You see, so often you and I face these provocations. We face these challenges. And guess what? You're going to. And they're not going to end until Christ returns, 
or until you finally do in the fullness of the resurrection enter into the glory that is your inheritance. But until that day comes, you manifest that glory now here in the midst of trial and tribulation. As Calvin says, with good reason does he recommend here these things because there are innumerable offenses that arise daily which might produce quarrels, particularly when we consider the extreme bitterness of man's natural temper. Disputes often give rise to hatred and to resentment. And these things are not to characterize the fellowship of God's people. And so we are to be eager to pursue these things because what is it that we are being eager to pursue? It is the maintenance of two things. The first thing, it is to, be the, it is to, to maintain what Jesus has accomplished for us. Notice here, he doesn't say that in Christ you are to be uh, those who create peace in the church. You don't, he's not calling you to that because you don't have to do that. And you don't have to do that because the peace has already been created by Christ. We, we looked at that in chapter 2 and in chapter 3. Jesus has made peace. Jesus is the peacemaker. Jesus is the one who, who came to earth and suffered through taking on flesh, who suffered through, through, by living under the obligations of the law, who suffered under the, the, the condemnation of wicked men, who suffered under the condemnation of his father when our sins were put upon him. Jesus took that wrath and he pacified it. And on the other side, through the resurrection, he has created peace. We are to be eager to maintain what he created. And so we are to be eager to maintain something that Christ has brought about. The unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Not just the unity of of those who have shared cultural preferences or, or shared spiritual preferences. We are to preserve the new identity, citizenship, and calling that we have in Jesus Christ. These are difficult words for us as Americans. As Americans, we have been culturally taught and conditioned to have it your way. You have been taught, you have been conditioned to live for yourself or to live with those who also agree with you so that it can be a nice, tidy, neat little relationship. And as a result, we have churches scattered across our towns and our cities in this country and the world, but especially here in America, that tend to uh, come together because they have a shared perspective on, on education. We're the homeschooling church. We're the Christian education church. 
or that we, we surround ourselves, you know, with the, the type of music that we want, or we surround ourselves with uh, politics, or we surround ourselves with um, perspectives about how to interact with culture. We're the church that separates ourselves. We're the church that takes it all in, right? There are all these different ways. And this is because you and I have been conditioned by the world in which we live and the ongoing sin of our natural tempers, as, as Calvin says. We, we are conditioned to live for ourselves. And so when it comes to coming together as a corporate entity, we want to be around people who are like ourselves. Race. Politics. Money. Education. There is an endless list of these preferences. And that is because we will confess theologically that we believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we will confess theologically that we believe that the church in Christ has been made his body. We believe that. But we so often don't live it out. And we don't live it out because we are not cultivating the extravagant grace that is ours in Jesus Christ to, in order to have attitudes and dispositions of the heart that are constrained by humility, gentleness, and patience. When we don't cultivate those things, we might say we believe them, but when we don't cultivate them, they don't come out in our actions. And what happens is the unity that Jesus has purchased by his blood is a unity that you and I will not sacrifice to maintain. How easy do people make decisions to leave church. Oh, something was said. I don't like it. I'm out. Something was done. Don't like it. I'm out. Oh, it sounds like there might be change. Mm -mm, I'm out. I can, I can name all kinds of different things. I myself have done them. I myself have wrestled with them. They're in my heart. Beloved, what we need to be cultivating in our heart is not that which naturally is part of our earthly existence, but that which is spiritually part of our existence as citizens of the heavenly places. And beloved, this is hard work because it will only be manifested through humility, gentleness, and patience. We are to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond, in the covenant of peace. You see, Jesus made a, uh, was, was in a covenant of peace with his Father and with the Holy Spirit. And it was to fulfill that covenant that he came to earth and did what he did. 
And in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the covenant of peace has been fulfilled, and you and I have now been drawn into that covenant of peace, a covenant of peace, a bond of peace. And so we are to maintain that covenant of peace. We maintain what Jesus has accomplished. But notice this covenant of peace as it is a covenant first existing between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit means that also what we are maintaining when we pursue unity is we are maintaining the oneness of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You see, through Christ, as we we have been talking about here in Ephesians, and as I have talked about everywhere that we've been looking in the scripture, you and I, because of Christ, we have been drawn into the eternal loving union and communion that has always existed between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What they have enjoyed, what, what they have had, we are now part of that. It's not that you have the Trinity here and us over here and we have a special connection to it. What you have is the Trinity and we have been drawn into that. That's what it means to be in Christ. That's what it means to have become the temple presence of the triune God here on earth is we are part through the indwelling of the Spirit as he unites us to Christ, and as we are now related through Christ in the perfections of his glory before the Father, we are part of the unity of the Godhead. Not because we've become God, but because we've been drawn into their relationship. His relationship. That's what we are to maintain. And when you and I do not pursue unity what we are saying to the world is that the father son and holy spirit are not united this is serious oneness we read from the shema in deuteronomy 6 of the oneness of god here o israel The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And out of the unity of God, here is how you live. As those through covenant who are drawn into that unity. We are to be eager to maintain what Christ has accomplished, we are to be eager to maintain who God is in his person and in his work. We are not just here on earth to promote good ethics, although we are to do that. We're not just here to promote certain practices, although we are to do that. But at the heart of what it means to bear witness and testimony as God's people, to live a life of witness is to be a revelation of the unified triune God. That is our calling. 
How thorough is this? Well, there is one body. There is one spirit. There is the hope of one calling. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, over all, through all, in all. How thorough, how deep, how exhaustive is the unity of the Godhead expressed in, in the faith of his people. It is oneness, 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 oneness. And if you decide that you can no longer be at one with a particular local congregation, you had better go to the session and talk with them and get their counsel. Because guess what? I'm going to suggest to you that more times, more often than not, you are being selfish. You are not being led by the Spirit of God through his word. Because God maintains his unity because it's who he is. And we too easily make decisions that we can no longer maintain that. This doesn't mean that there's never a reason to not to leave a local, a local church. This doesn't mean there aren't things that go on in a local church that do rise to the level of needing to, to move on. What it does mean is that decision should not be made quickly. It should not be easy. And it should involve a ton of communication. Because our words are an expression of our unity. It is too easy to make a decision that we don't want to maintain a witness of one body. And so notice here, we are one body because we are part of one spirit. There is one hope, the hope of Christ. And outside of Christ, what did he say back in chapter 2? Apart from Christ, there is no hope. There is one Lord. Notice here, there's, notice the way that he put it. And I think that the ESV translators are correct in, in translating word, the word is spirit here with a capital S. Some people interpret this as saying that there's one kind of spirit of the congregation. And, and that might be true. It, it should be true. <laughs> but we don't want to limit it to some kind of, of spirit within ourselves. We, we, because that spirit has to be an expression of what? The spirit. And so I think they're right in translating this with a, with a capital S. But notice, there's one spirit. There's one Lord. Kyrios. The word that is used throughout the New Testament to refer to Jesus Christ. And there is one Father. Notice that there is a triune nature to the unity that he says is the hallmark of what it means to be connected to the true God. The true God is a unified Godhead with a diversity of responsibilities. 
There is one God in three persons. They are the same in substance, equal in power and in glory, and yet they have all had different responsibilities in the accomplishment, carrying out an application of the eternal covenant of peace that they entered into before the creation of the world. One God, three persons, a unity, and yet there is diversity in the outworking of the work. This doesn't mean that we all have to be exactly the same within this local congregation. It means as one body, there are going uh, to be hands and feet. There's going to be armpits, you know. There's going to be lots of different things as there is a diversity here within us. And when we don't have that diversity, beloved, that is a problem because not every one of us have the same gifts. Not every one of us have the gifts, the gifts that a local congregation needs to accomplish its calling. And so we've got to have people that are different. We've got to have people that come from these different, these different expressions of life. Not because we are looking for difference for different sake, but because we know that in the outworkings of the Trinity, what is being accomplished is that some from every tribe, tongue, and nation are going to be present in the heavenly places. Unity, appropriate diversity, working to maintain this heavenly identity so that as we have not just been made partakers of the peace accomplished by Christ, we participate in that mission of peace here within this world of war. And we do that first by maintaining the peace that Christ accomplished, that is part of the Trinity, we maintain that and we work hard to maintain it. We do so with urgency. We do so with effort. We do so, and not effort from the flesh, but effort from the Spirit. The extravagant grace that we have received in Christ not only provides us a standing before the Father, it gives us the power to be what he considers us to be. One body, one spirit, one hope of our calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. If you ever begin to, to think that there is a problem that that, that, that is leading you that you think you need to leave. Remember your baptism. Because the oneness of God as it became expressed in the Christ who took on flesh is a oneness that is preached to us even in our baptism as the application of that consecrated water tells us who we are in Jesus Christ as those cleansed and as those made part of his body. The faith of Christianity to which we bear witness is pictured for us and presented to us and made effectual in us by the Spirit as those baptismal waters tell us over and over and over again. You have been made part 
of the triune God. And so, beloved, as we seek to learn and to grow and to develop in this oneness, I implore you to constantly preach the realities of the first three chapters of this book, of the extravagant grace of God in your life, so that you, in taking up the extravagance, might relate to one another through his extravagance, and that you would be quick, and that you would, with great urgency, when you start to sense that there's something wrong, between you and a brother, that you would make yourself available to him or to her. You're not going to be able to force that person to meet with you. But you've got to open yourself up to, 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 make, uh, to go to them, to make yourself available, and to take up the cross of Jesus Christ in sacrificing of yourself to humble yourself and to gently and patiently deal with the struggles and with the disagreements and with the sins that are still so prevalent within us. I'm urging you as God's people. There is no greater thing that you can cultivate as a local church than an, eagle, an eager pursuit of maintaining unity. Not a unity that comes through forcing others to agree with you, but a unity that comes in manifesting the Christ who gave of himself for others. Beloved, the one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who is over, who is through, and who is in, animates you today. He fills you with himself today. In Christ, you are the renewed image of God. Act like it. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, these are difficult things for us, not because we don't want them, but because so often we don't want the difficulties that are part of doing them. And so help us, Lord, to grow as a, as a people, as a corporate entity that, that seek to encourage one another, not to hold, uh, hold these uh, things as, as duties and responsibilities over one another, but to encourage one another. So often, Lord, we, we hear sermons like this and we immediately can think of, well, you know, so-and-so I hope is really paying attention today. And that is because we like the benefits, Lord, that come from this. We don't like the responsibilities. And so, Lord, help us as your people to not only through attempts of outward behavior, but even in the devotion of our hearts to take up your oneness and to be eager to guard that oneness and to 
live out the embodiment and expression of your oneness as we give ourselves to you afresh day after day as those who have received the baptismal waters that have cleansed and drawn us into the one body as that one body now exists as the extension of the one God. Father, use your word, use baptism, and even as we go to your table, use communion as it is an expression of these realities. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.